So Piper was extremely excited to pick out my socks, so I decided I'm showing them off. So that's why I don't have shoes on. Plus, um, it's been a while since I haven't preached without shoes on. I used to do it all the time at Revolution, so I figured why not? It'd be fun um, to do it with my baby Yoda socks. So if anybody looks, that's why. Because Piper was extremely excited that she got to pick them. Um, so today we are going to start a new sermon series uh, called Who Cares? Right? Now, I just, we like to pull back the curtain, right? So here's the deal. Um, I think that's a great title to a series, but it's been really hard the last few weeks because every time we talk about it in staff meeting, the staff likes to find it funny. We'll say, who cares? And they say, well, David don't. Um, be, be, I think it's kind of mean, um, honestly. I know. Thank you, honey. <laughs> My wife don't care. That's for sure. So we're going to start this series called Who Cares? And we're going to be talking about care within the church, okay? Uh, And this is why uh, this is interesting. Uh, About a year ago, a little over a year ago, uh, I kind of had this uh, feeling of doing some research on care within the church. So over the last year, I've been doing a lot of reading and research on what that looks like, what it means for care and pastoral care, and just the, the body caring for one another, the church caring for one another, and it's been about a year-long process. And then if those of you that remember, uh, I think it's been about a year, we did our survey, um, and one of the things that came out of the survey we did for the congregation was there, was there was comments in there of like, hey, it'd be nice to see the church maybe do a better job in how we care for one another inside of the church, okay? Because there's this awkward tension when it comes to churches, And let's just put it all out on the table. There's an awkward tension. Here's the tension. Um, We're called to reach the world, right? We're called to go out and and share the gospel. We're called to go out and love our neighbors and try to bring people to know Jesus, okay? And then we're also called to care for one another. And over time, what seems to happen is this tension, is because there's a fear. Now, I'm not saying necessarily here, but I'm saying in church in general of of Christians I know and other pastors and leaders and other churches that I've been in, there's this tendency that if you put too much of an emphasis on caring inside the church, what ends up happening, or there's a fear of what ends up happening, is all of a sudden you become all about yourselves, right? And you lose the focus to go reach other people, right? It kind of just becomes about you. And, and all of a sudden what happens is you become a, a, a church that kind of creates your, your holy huddle, as you call it, right? We, we, we just, it's about us. Okay, but the tension also can become that you can be so focused on the mission of reaching other people that you're constantly looking outside of the church and those inside the church can be like, well, what about us? Right? There's a tension there. And so this is something that, you know, I, this again, this is something just starting to reading about and studying it and conversations and the elders talking about and what that looks like. And over the next three weeks, we're going to talk some about, again, caring inside of the church. But through my research this past year, I've come to two conclusions um, through all of this. And here's the first one. Care inside of the church. Care within the church is a main factor in the spiritual growth of people. If the church doesn't care for itself, if there isn't 
proper and effective care inside of the congregation, people will not spiritually grow. We will not mature in our faith if there is not appropriate care inside of the church. The second conclusion is this. Care within the church is actually one of our main forms of evangelism. See, it's interesting. We get into this tension of, well, let's not become about ourselves because we want to reach other people. The truth of the matter is, when the church actually loves and cares for each other the way we're called to by Jesus, this actually becomes one of our number one forms of evangelism. See, we think, now, now when, I, when I say all this, I'm not, I'm not degrading any of this, so hear me when I, you know, listen to the whole thing, but the main form of evangelism of a church is not the quality of the services, not the ministries it provides, not the activities, not the programs, not the music, not the preaching, not the building. See, we put a lot of emphasis on all of that stuff. Draw people in, right? Let's get them to come to the church. So we do all these events and all these things. Don't get me wrong. Those are not bad things, but they are so far secondary for the main thing Jesus says will prove to people that he is who he said he was. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. See, Jesus isn't talking about our love for the world here. He's talking to the disciples. He's saying, guys, listen, the way you choose to love one another, the way you choose to care for one another inside of the church is actually going to be one of the number one things that proves to the world that you're my disciples. It's going to prove I am who I said I am. See, so the tension that's been created between care inside of the church and trying to reach the world has actually been something I think the enemy has liked to weave in there so he gets us confused on what we're supposed to be. Because again, when we truly care for one another inside of the church, it's actually one of the main factors for us to grow spiritually, and it's also one of the main factors that God uses to reach the world. Now, as we start this conversation together, throughout Scripture... The church is described by several different terms. The church is called a body. It's called a fellowship. We're called a holy people. We're called a flock. But first and foremost, first and foremost, the number one thing that we have to understand and we can never forget is the church is a family. See, listen to what... The Bible tells us, this is what Paul says. Paul says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. First and foremost, the church is meant to be a family. See, unfortunately, though, in our culture, and I can only speak for our culture, at least the culture I have grown up in and what I understand and what I've been taught about the church over my lifetime. Unfortunately, I think there's been a culture shift in how we've been taught to view the church. In fact, I think many times without realizing it, we, tr we treat the church more like a business than we do a family. And now hear me, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with business principles when it comes to leading a church. A church, it, yes, we have budgets, we have structures, we have things the way we do stuff. But I remember when I started Revolution, when we planted Revolution, somebody came to me, visited the church, and they come walking up to me after the service, and we're talking like, this is great. You know, we were chatting about why we started the church and all this kind of stuff. And then he looks at me and he says, so explain to me, what's your business model with this place? 
It's like, what in the world are you talking about? The church does not function with a business model. To, to, to treat the church like it's a business is to empty it of the very thing that it is. And this is a creation of God himself that he's poured out his Holy Spirit upon. It's not a business or simply an organization. But I was thinking about this the last couple of weeks. Think of a lot of the terms that we use. We even speak in ways that treats the church like a business. Again, they're not bad terms. Again, I'm not trying to say we have to change everything. What I'm trying to say is just look at how we even speak and how we think when it comes to the church. We use terms like commitment. Committees, teams, budget, structures, agendas. A lot of times the terms we use inside the church are the same terms that you'll find in a business. And again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that except over time, it causes many people to treat the church like a business or an organization and we lose the fact that it's actually a family. See, because if in my mind, whether I realize it or not, if I believe that the church is more of a structural organization or a business, it makes it a whole lot easier for me to maybe distance myself, remove myself, complain against the things that I don't like or I think need to be different, because I view it more as I'm a customer versus as a family that God has placed me in. And see, and I think the enemy's done a really good job over time of chipping away at us losing the fact that we are a family. You don't hear that term very much. I'll give you a personal example of when I started to understand this a little bit better. When I first became a pastor, when I first got ordained, I remember uh, my dad would call and and we just, he'd have those, he's checking in, um, and, and this threw me for a loop. So growing up, my dad was like, he was like, the, I mean, of course, the spiritual leader of our home, right? My dad always served in church. He was always a leader in the church. He would teach classes. He would do these things. I would have discussions with my dad on biblical things. So from a spiritual standpoint, I viewed my dad, you know, he's, he's my, my father, but he's like a spiritual father. He was guiding me with all this. And I remember the first time I'm on the phone with him, and we're talking, and we, 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 we get ready to say goodbye, and I say, bye, dad, I love you. And he's like, I love you, brother what? Brother? And then he hangs up. And I remember sitting there going, that is the most, that's the weirdest thing I have ever heard in my life. My father just called me brother. Okay. And then he did it a couple other times and and it, it just, it was weird, right? Weird. But then I got to thinking about it. And here's the thing, the conclusion that I've come to, and I don't know if this was his thought process, but this is the conclusion that I made, or that I, as I was thinking about this. While, yes, my father is my father, he's my earthly father, from an eternal standpoint, through Jesus Christ, he's my brother. See, for all eternity, he's going to be my brother in Christ. Not my dad. Because when we stand together in eternity, those relationships aren't going to be the same way they used to be. And so it started to make me think of, you know what, I have these earthly relationships that are extremely important. But there's something about this church family that's a little bit different that we lose sight of sometimes. Now, needless to say, I can honestly say I don't think I've ever called my dad brother back because I haven't got there yet. It's still weird. 
okay? Um, but I'm just saying. This is some of the stuff that I've processed through. See, here's the thing. The reason I'm going about this with the church is because this morning we're going to start with kind of understanding the church as a family because it's what unites us as a family that should be, that should be the thing that motivates us to actually care for each other, right? As a, that's what, being a family, being part of God's household, that's the very thing that should motivate us to truly care for one another the way that the Scripture calls us to. So what I want to do this morning is just process through a few things that unite us as the family that God has created through Jesus Christ. So, what is it that unites us together? Simply this. I want you to think about, we just got done processing through the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to think about the first line of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven... That's what we're going to process through this morning, just for a few moments, is that statement right there, because right there, there's a lot of truth on what it means to be part of God's family. Our Father, who is in heaven. First is this, what unites us together is the fact that we have a Father who is in heaven. This was radical when Jesus said these words. See, up until that time, the, the, the Jewish people didn't view God as a father in the way that Jesus was referring to God as a father. They viewed God as their father in the sense of he is their creator. Yes, he created the nation of Israel. Yes, God created all of humanity. God is our creator. So, of course, he is our father because we have our origin from him because he's the one that created us. But then all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 no. he's not just your creator He's your father that you can have an intimate, personal relationship with. And this was radical to the people that heard this. Now, let's just kind of process for a moment what that means spiritually. If God is our father through Jesus Christ, that means before I put my faith in Jesus, I'm a spiritual orphan. All right, think about this from spiritual terms. Before I put my faith in Jesus, I am a spiritual orphan. Meaning, this, this word orphan, the, the, the root word of this, what it simply means is to be alone. It actually means to be deprived. Without Jesus, before I put my faith in Jesus, I am actually in a position, my nature, my condition is total depravity. Because I have no father. An orphan during this time would have been someone that was powerless, someone that was unprotected. Sadly enough, in ancient times, if you were an orphan, majority of orphans were actually sold into slavery. Now think about this in the context of our spiritual lives. The Bible tells us that I am powerless to save myself. Without Jesus, I am powerless to do anything because of my condition. I am actually unprotected because I'm an object of God's wrath. I deserve punishment and damnation. That is my condition before God because I'm a spiritual orphan. And the Bible actually tells me that I am actually sold into slavery. I am a slave to sin. This is my condition before Jesus. But yet, through Jesus Christ, 
the Bible tells us that we have been given the right to become children of God. God offers us the opportunity for him to become our father. This morning, if you have put your faith in Jesus, every single person in this room, at some point in time, before you put your faith in Jesus, you were a spiritual orphan just like I was. You were powerless, you were unprotected, and you were sold into slavery. That was your condition. That was your nature. That was who you are. You were a person without hope. You were a person without a future. You were a person without any origin whatsoever. But because of Jesus Christ and His grace and putting your faith in Him, the Bible says that you have now become a child of God. You have a Father. This this is one of the number one things that should unite us as a church, is the fact that we were all lost in sin. We were all broken and separated from God, but because of the love of God, I now have a Father. My Father. Your Father. And because of that, notice what we share now together. As a church, as Christians, we now share the same identity. Back in ancient times, you would go around and you would hear people introduce themselves. So if we still did that today, I would come up to you and I would say, I am David, son of Bob. Doesn't sound as good. Nothing against Bob, but it just doesn't sound as good. Right? But that's how you would identify yourself. You would walk around and you would introduce yourself by who your father was because that was your identity. Before Jesus, none of us had an identity. But now because of Jesus, you can walk up and say, I am David, I am a child of God. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. I have an identity now because of Jesus Christ. This is the thing that should unite us. But not only do we have an identity, we also get to share in the rights and privileges of being a child of God. It should unite us that right now we get to share in everything that has been given to us because of our Father. We now have security, assurances, we have authority, we are now provided for. We have every aspect of the household because He is now our Father. Think about it this way. When we think about the prodigal son, we always focus so much on the prodigal son. But, but the sad part is, is we also need to focus on the elder son. There's some great truth when it comes to the older son. Because here he was under the father's household. He was in the father's household. He was under the father's authority. And he was missing out on this amazing truth. So when he comes to the father and he says to the father, you know, he's upset. He's like, how come you're doing this for him? How come you're killing this calf for him? Why are you throwing this party for him? Why are you doing all of this for him? And the father looks at him and he says, boy, don't you realize that everything that I have is already yours? It's a right and privilege of the household. It's all yours already. He was missing out on his rights and privileges as a child. And sadly enough, many of us Christians in the church do the same thing because we lose sight that we are a family under a father who says every aspect of the house is yours. It's yours. It's available to you anytime you want it. But because we lose sight of the family, we end up being more like the older son, complaining on what we think we're being left out of, instead of taking advantage of everything we've already been given. 
Because we lose sight of the family under a father. One of the last things that I want you to understand of what it means that we, we are united by this, of having a father, is we're also united in the fact that we have access to the father. We are given the ability to have intimacy with our father. The father's like, I want you to know me completely. I, I want, in fact, it's interesting when you look at Jesus' prayer before he's arrested. Here's Jesus in John 17, and, and he's going and he's praying for the disciples and he's praying for himself and what's about to happen. And as he's praying, he's saying things like this. He's saying, Father, I want them to be so united together that that's like how you and I are united together. And I, and I want them to be so united with, with you and with me. Like Jesus is painting this picture of, of complete unity between the Father and Himself and us. And man, isn't it sad that we miss out on that so often? And one of the reasons I think that happens is because the enemy has done a good job of us looking at the church like a business more than as a family. Because the family is where that intimacy happens. And if he can get us to stop seeing us as a family under the leadership and authority of our Father, He can strip us of the intimacy that God wants to have with us. He can strip us of the rights and privileges that He wants us to have. He can strip us of our identity. And sadly, I think that happens way too often when we lose sight that we're called to be a family. Now, our Father unites us. Now, that statement in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven, I always thought it's interesting that that Jesus prayed this saying our, and he didn't say my. So that moves into the second thing that unites us. Because we are a family, that means now I got a whole world of brothers and sisters. There's a kinship now. Not only do I have a father, I have a kinship. Jesus says our father. So the hour means that there's more than one, which means all of us. Christianity at its core has to be understood that it's not a solo undertaking. It's not a solo journey. Unfortunately, we, we, we live that way way too often, don't we? I'm guilty of this. Without anybody saying it, think about this. Think about this. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you were going through something and you just suffered in silence instead of bringing it to the family. Right? Whether that was prayer, whether that was we need help, whether that's could somebody come. I remember this one time. This isn't about the church, but I'll give you an example of this. I remember uh, I was probably like 12 at the time. Summer just started, so that's why I'm thinking about this. My dad, uh, we had an old house. I guess I'm using my dad a lot today, so I ain't paying you, though. Um, so we, we had a, our old house. One of the walls of the basement was leaking. So Dad had the bright idea. Um, it needed to happen, but it was still a bright idea. Uh, that we had to dig all the way down along the wall so that we could put some more cement down there and support it and all this stuff. Here was the problem. Uh, Dad worked at Quaker Oats at the time, so he went to work all day. Okay? So he thought this would be a great activity for my son. Right? So his idea was, here's your shovel, go out, dig a hole, okay, all along this. And I remember the first day, now this is the beginning of summer, no 12-year-old 
wants to be digging a hole in summer. So I remember digging a hole, and I remember, I didn't think about the church with this, but I went to my dad after a couple days, because he wasn't too happy with the progress. Okay? And I remember looking at it. He probably doesn't remember this, but I remember looking at him, I was like, Dad, why don't we be like the Amish? He's like, what are you talking about? They invite friends <laughs> to do the work. Like, let's invite some people over to do the work. He didn't like my idea. I thought it was a great idea, okay? But think about this just for a moment. This is a great example of this. The Amish have got this figured out because they live like a family, right? Hey, I need to go build a barn. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to invite everybody I know. We're going to build a barn. We're going to do it in one day, right? Then it's done. You know what that means? That frees me up that if somebody else in my family needs some help, I'm not stuck building a barn. I can go help. You see, we live in a world for some reason that none of us want to ask for help for nothing. Right? Something that could literally take a day, we'll suffer in silence for a month. And then we'll sit there and say, I just don't have time to do it. Man, I just don't have time. See, this is what I'm saying is, is, is we don't take advantage. We live our Christian life in this solo undertaking, not even just physical things. We struggle with doubts and questions that we never ask and we never have conversations. We never just come and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Could you help explain this to me? Here's the thing I want us to understand. That's exactly how the enemy wants us to live. Right? Because he doesn't want you to trust and rely on the people around you. But see, God in his wisdom has united us by giving us brothers and sisters. We have brothers and sisters all around the world, but most importantly, he's given us a local body of brothers and sisters. Now, here's the thing. I got Play-Doh. Matt wanted to know if I was doing Play-Doh because it's Father's Day. We're going to play with Play-Doh. No. But here's the thing. This is how a lot of us treat the church, right? And some of you might already know where we're going to go with this. We have all these different colors. And this is how we treat our involvement in the church. We all come along with our own individualism, right? And, and that's how, and this is, this is how the enemy wants it, right? He wants us to be all individualistic because here's the thing. If he can get us where I'm not, and, and let's just talk about it for a second. Let's just put it all on the table. Let's say I'm not happy with the church I'm in, right? Something, something happens and it, it just, it's really easy for me to, poop. I'm going to go to the next one, right? Or, well, I want to distance myself. So it's really easy for me to, like, I'm still part of it, but I'm, I'm, I'm over here, okay? That's how we treat the church, our brothers. Right? We're close to one another, but, but we still keep enough distance that it's really easy for us to remove ourselves if necessary. The issue is, as Jesus says, this is what the family is. It's all of us mixed together in this united kinship that we cannot be easily separated from one another. That's what the church is supposed to be. Because let's say something happens that we do have to remove ourselves from the church we're in. This happened when we left First Baptist and we went down to Missouri. I remember um, I was really excited 
about leaving and going down to Missouri into our new ministry. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to leave. I didn't mean that bad, but I couldn't wait to get, you know, and get started. Um, and I got up to do the announcement that we were leaving. I am not an emotional person that you will see, right? I remember I got up, and here I am in front of the church, and I'm like, I just want to announce that uh, in two weeks, Amy and I were <sighs> tears, right? Like instantly broken about the, the, the concept of leaving my church family. See, here's the thing. It shouldn't be that easy for us to separate from one another. Right? It should actually hurt a little bit if that ever happens. Whether it's for the right reasons or maybe it's for the wrong reasons. There should be a little bit of a pain in being separated from my church family. But we don't live in that kind of world in many cases. There's not a lot of pain when we end up going to the next congregation or we feel separated from one another. And here's the thing that I thought was interesting when I was thinking about this analogy, or this illustration, is, is simply this. If God ever does call me or you to go to another church, the way it's supposed to work is to say, hey, he says, hey, I need you over here to do ministry over here. And we split from one another. The cool part is, is I should actually be taking all of you with me. Right? Because we're so invested in each other's lives as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're so ingrained with each other. That even if God takes me someplace else, I'm still taking everyone with me. Because there's always pieces of one another that should be intergrained into our lives as Christians and lives together. Now that doesn't mean, let's just, again, pause and realize this. That doesn't mean that we're going to be intimately close with every single person in the church. That's not what I'm talking about. But if we're part of a local congregation, we better understand that every person in that church is my brother and sister in Christ. And when we understand that, that changes how we treat one another. That changes how we see one another. That changes how we talk about one another. That changes how we invest and we're there for one another. But again, that's why I think the enemy wants us not to look at ourselves as a family. Because here's what happens when we understand ourselves as a family of brothers and sisters. This is the gift that God has given to us. He's given us a group of people in the church that we're able to share our lives with. Meaning, we get to share our ups and our downs, our joys and our sorrows. Right? Again, that doesn't mean I'm going to share every joy and every sorrow with every single person in the church, but in the church I know that I'm supposed to have people that I can go to and share my joys with, my sorrows with, my, my difficulties with, my temptations with, my ups and my downs. It's a gift that God has given to us through the church. But again, some of us even now are hearing that and it's making you uncomfortable. <laughs> this is what's really funny about me being the one that started reading about care ministry. Because that's why they, you know, Matt likes to give me a hard time. I'm the guy that I'm constantly like, man, that makes me uncomfortable. It makes me so uncomfortable. But that's the gift that God has given to us. Not only that, through the church, through our brothers and sisters, we're giving the opportunity to actually develop one another in our faith. 
You and I cannot grow in our faith unless you're in close contact with other Christians. Listen to that. You can't grow in your faith unless you're in close contact with other Christians. Anybody here have a sibling that just annoys the living snot out of them? Right? I just have one here, Brad. Yep, you do. (laughs) Just kidding. This is one of the reasons God gave us the church, right? God gave us the church not so that we can all sing kumbaya together, not so that we can all get along all the time, every single day, not that we're not going to have conflict. In fact, he gave us the church so that he could put us around other people that are going to make us live out the gospel. It means in the church there's going to be people that are going to frustrate me. There's going to be people that don't have my same personality. There's going to be people that don't get my sarcasm or my jokes. Listen, we were really nice for Malia. And for her five-year anniversary, we bought her a gavel. Right? As a joke. Sarcasm. Sarcasm, right? No, no, no. She thinks she needs to bring it to meetings. started it so but but this is the thing about the church we're supposed to have conflict with each other guess what that's the way we learn how to forgive that's how we learn to show grace that's how we learn to show love is by actually doing life together we're not called to constantly and always get along Because God has given us a place where we can live and and live out the gospel so we can learn how to be more like Jesus. That's why he's given us one another. So that we can challenge one another, so we can hold each other accountable, so we can support one another. And at times, have those moments where we have to check our own heart and grow a little bit more. See, but unfortunately, when we lose sight that we're a family, when the difficult times come, that's when the enemy comes in and he starts whispering things, it might be time to jump ship. It's getting a little too hard here. You might have to have a hard conversation. You might have to go humble yourself and and seek forgiveness. You might have actually have a disagreement with somebody about something that's when the enemy says just go on to someplace else but god says that's when you press in even more because i've given you the church as a family of brothers and sisters so that you can learn to live out grace and grow in your faith the last gift i want you to understand of why we have brothers and sisters and sisters and god has given us a church is simply this this is this is one of the best ones in my opinion god has given us an army to fight with. See, see, right now, think about this for a moment. If, I'll give one example. If anybody in this church right now has kids or grandkids that you are struggling with where they're at in their relationship with Jesus or you're struggling with where they're at in their life, like you are carrying a huge burden for your kids or for your grandkids, and you're prayerfully 
praying, you're just praying for them and you're crying out to God. If you have not yet brought that before others in the church to do it with you, you are failing to use the army that God has given to you to fight the spiritual battles that we are in. God has given you an army to fight with. You know, when I was, I, <laughs> I'm just using a lot of family today. Um, when I was younger, I was, I was kind of, I was mouthy um, at times. Because uh, if anybody knew who my brother was, I, I was mouthy. I was like, you mess with me, you're going to mess with him. Right? That, that's the way it worked. And, and I, so I'd get mouthy with people that I knew, knew who Brad was because it was like, if you mess with me, you're going to have to mess with him. I did that up until the time Brad came to me and said, listen, you open your big mouth again, you're going to have to fight your own fight. Because he knew I was, just, I was being the smart mouth about it. But here's the thing. We need to start having that mentality when it comes to the church, right? When Satan comes and messes with one of us, the attitude better be, you're messing with all of us. You're coming and, and you're trying to destroy this family. You're not just going to fight against this family. You're fighting with all of us. But see, we don't usually work that way. Because we lose sight of the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. But this is what unites us. Is that we're an army together fighting against someone that is trying to destroy us. Here's the last thing I want us to understand that unites us this morning as the church. Our Father, who is in heaven. We are united because we have a shared home. We are united in what we're living for. We're living not for the temporary. We're living not for the, the things of this earth. In fact, we're living for our heavenly home. We're living for eternity. As a church, we should all be united with the same desire of life to live the best we can here in preparation for what is to come. See, we're called to live for eternity. We're called to live for the kingdom. But let's just, again, let's put it out on the table. We're, we're supposed to live for eternity, but that can just be really hard, right? Unfortunately, many of us might feel beat up by the world. You might feel beat up by the enemy. Truth of the matter is, I know this is true for me, sometimes I feel beat up by my own foolish inner turmoil. I am my own worst enemy. Sometimes I'm the one beating myself up the most. And it's hard to live for eternity. It's hard to live for the kingdom. But when we lose sight that as a church family, we're all called to be living for the same goal, the last thing we should ever see is anyone ever being beat up by the church. Do we get beat up enough by the world? We get beat up enough by the enemy. We get beat up enough by ourselves. But unfortunately, sometimes we can become churches that are beating up each other. Because we've lost sight of the thing that unites us, and that's that we're fighting for the same home. We're striving for the same home. We're living for the same home. The local church should actually be our place of refuge. Now, when I say the local church, I'm not just talking inside this building. We, the people brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be the refuge for one another. 
The church should be the place that we know that we are wanted and that we are loved and that we are protected. We should strive to never have anybody question the pure motives of why we treat ourselves the way that we do, the way that we treat one another. Don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that sometimes you might not have to hear things in the church that's going to be hard. That doesn't mean that there might be times you get challenged with your actions or your behaviors or your attitudes. That doesn't mean that there's still not moments of discipline and sometimes of being held accountable. That's not what we're talking about. But if we're all striving for the same home, if we're all striving for the same kingdom, if we're all striving for the same eternity that unites us, that means even if we have to say hard things to one another, even if we have to speak truth to one another, we should strive to do it in a way that we never question the motives of the other person. Now the reality is, is when you're close to family, family can say hard things. And you listen because you never doubt the love and care of the family. But one of the things that she unite us is that we all work together to be a refuge. But the local church is not just our refuge, the local church is also our inspiration. Meaning, if we're all striving for the same home, if we're united by the same home to live this life in preparation for eternity, in preparation for the kingdom, in preparation for glory, then the local church should desire to be inspiration to one another, meaning we spur one another along. We encourage each other to persevere. That's what the church must be. Now, I'm going to give you the, the last thing and then we're going to close this that I had to remind myself while I was kind of processing through all of this. When I, was, when I read a lot, when I was reading a lot of this stuff and I was processing through a lot of this, um, I found myself doing something very interesting and maybe you have done this yourself. I'm reading it and I'm thinking to myself, man, people need to do better. You know? Like, man, Matt needs to read this. Maybe he'd treat me different. I was talking about Matt Drumberger. See, you all assumed. See. But see, we do that, right? We hear things about caring for one another. We hear things about being a church like this to be inspiration and a refuge and a place that doesn't. We hear all these things, and the first thing that we do is we start looking around and saying, man, all these people need to, we need to do better. But here's the thing. I can't, I can't make anybody else do better. You can't make anybody else do better. There's only one person you can worry about in doing better. That's you. Right? And that's the other thing you've got to think about with this is, is sometimes when we talk about, and I want you to realize this as we go through the rest of the series, is as we talk about caring for one another, it's really easy to step back and say, man, if, if those people would just be more caring, this would be a whole lot better. Man, I've got to start here. Right? I gotta start with this heart and how I'm doing. So I just encourage us as we go through this series together, ask yourself those questions. How do you view the rest of the people in this church? Right now, are you looking and thinking about this that everybody in this in this room that calls us their home and are believers in Jesus Christ, these are your brothers and sisters. 
right? This is your family. And this is a family that's going to continue for all eternity. So if you're kind of looking around and you see some people, you're like, man, I've got to keep distance. You're going to be with them for all eternity. So we should probably figure out ways to get along together here. Otherwise, Jesus is going to make that person your neighbor. And that's for all eternity. And we have to start seeing ourselves as a family. Here's the last thing. Paul says this also in Ephesians 2. He says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I just want to end with this. And as I do this, uh, praise team, if you want to come forward, that'd be great. And get ready. When the enemy wants us to neglect the church as our family, right? That's what the enemy wants. And and, and it's really easy to fall into that trap, to neglect our family. Here's the last truth that I've been wrestling with this week. If I neglect my family, if I neglect the local church that God has placed me in, my spiritual family, then I am actually neglecting the price that God paid for me to be part of it in the first place. Jesus shed his blood for you to have this family. That's the price that Jesus paid for us to have this family. That's the price that Jesus paid for us to have him as our father. This is the price he paid for us to have each other as brothers and sisters. This is the price that he paid for us to strive towards our home. If I neglect the family, I'm neglecting the price he paid. Man, I don't want to do that because that just shows how important the family is. The family was so important that Jesus shed his blood and died for us to have it. That's what I want us to understand as we go through the next couple of weeks. That's how important the family is. And it's the blood of Jesus that unites us together. Gracious God, I just thank you so much for our time here this morning. I thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. Lord, I I will confess myself that there are so many times in my Christian walk where I have failed to see the beauty of the church. I have failed to understand and see the family that you have created, the family of God. I have failed to treat other Christians the way that you have designed them to be, and that is my brothers and sisters. Lord, I have lost sight of my home too many times and how I interact and how I treat my part in the church. But Lord, in all of that, you have still been so good. You have been faithful. Lord, you have continued to guide me personally, Lord, and I pray the same for us. None of us have ever gotten it perfect. There is always more room for us to grow as believers and as a church. And Lord, that's the prayer is that you pour out your spirit for us to see the beautiful, supernatural thing that the church is beyond just an organization that we're part of, beyond just some group that we meet with, just beyond some place that we give our time and our service to, or but what it truly is, and that's a family, all under the headship of our Father. 
So, Lord, as we leave here today, fill us with an excitement of your goodness to us, the goodness that you poured out with the church and our place in it. Let us be excited about what lies ahead and what you're planning to do through us as we strive to continue to be faithful to you. As your word says, Lord, we're praying that your will be done in this church, in our lives, as it is in heaven. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.